listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show in support of European-level actions within the skeptical movement. The ESP is run by individuals representing different skeptical groups from across the continent. This is episode number 197, and I am your host, Yelena Levin. Today joining me are my co-hosts, Brian Ego and Pontus Bokman. Всем привет! All right, trips! Hey, Sarissa! Ah! Well! Luke hey. was back again! Brian, again! Yes. You wait all that time for an incoherent Scotsman, <laughs> and then he turns up two weeks in a row. It's like... Bloody awesome! <laughs> it's, they're like buses, except badly informed and hard to understand. How are you doing, guys? All right? Very well, thank all, you. All good here. Uh, what's it called? The impeachment hearing in the full swing. It's like watching a soap opera. I was like, do you guys follow this? Maybe I'm following bit, yes. it too much. Yeah. Loosely, loosely. <laughs> now that I'm in America. And it's like, and a Trump just tweeting some mildly, uh, what's it called? When you intimidate someone. Uh, intimidating? Um, mildly uh, mildly threatening tweets during the live hearing. I'm like, what the actual fuck? Anyway, so that's interesting. Yeah. It's the best sitcom since the OJ Simpson trial, isn't it? <laughs> yes. Yeah, oh, here, here's an interesting fact for you. The guy who was hired by Jeffrey Epstein's brother to sort of call question into whether it was a suicide or not was also involved in the defence team of O.J. Simpson. Boom, fact. So, it is a sequel then. It's not just... A... Small world, right? Yeah, he, he uh. appears to be a coroner for hire, you know. Um, and, and if you give him <laughs> enough money... Allegedly, he will, um, you know, uh, give his quote-unquote expert opinion to whatever particular outcome you'd like to have. Oh, very good. You should give me his number. <laughs> Are you planning on uh, murder at some point, Pontus? Shh. You, yeah. you never know. <laughs> is, oh, is, is that where Andras is? is... <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. Is That's he, like, buried in your now. basement or something? <laughs> where, where is Andras right now? Is he still out in the Far East somewhere? That's what he tells us, yes. Right, okay. Uh, allegedly. Uh, allegedly. He said that he, it would be four in the morning his time, so this time wouldn't be ideal for him to record, because I can imagine it's hard enough to get up early in the morning, but not four o'clock, like in the middle of... For sure. Well, it's mostly night, really. <laughs> Assuming, so, of course, he's not dead in Pontus's basement, sure. <laughs> we'll never know. Uh, well, actually, what's the next thing that you, Pontus, and uh, Andres were going to go to? Are there any conferences coming up? I don't think so. Not until QED, where I expect to meet Brian, and maybe you as well, Jelena. And the reanimated corpse of Andrash. It's going to be like Weekend at Bells. <laughs> and, yeah. and the, but that's not until 2021. No, no 2020. 2020. QED. Oh. Yeah. 2020, okay. Um, Brian, so what's, uh, you know, tell us about the, the celebration, the 10th anniversary of... The skeptics. Oh, we we had a wonderful time last Monday night. We had Ash Price to do his Paranormal Illusionist show. If you guys ever get a chance to see him, you should see it. He was absolutely fantastic. But even better than that, we had some fantastic skeptic cake there as well. So I I went to or I, I sent my lovely wife to Asda to get one of those. You can get like a picture printed out and put on top yes, of your I cake. Yes, I know music. exactly which one you mean. Yeah. So we had we had like Glasgow Skeptics logo cake, but also um, loyal attention 
attendee Tracy Joliffe made a Glasgow Skeptics cake like using proper skills of our own to do our logo uh, and also one of our team Laura made another cake as well making the Glasgow Skeptics question mark with little bits of fruit so we had like three different types of cake and we had drinkies and chit chat and it was it was wonderful so thank you to everybody who showed up and hope you enjoyed the show yeah. amazing yeah, sounds that was, like a great time that was like it sounded like a lot of cake as well <laughs> oh my god yeah there was enough for me to take home and eat instead of lunch on tuesday which was uh, which is wonderful <laughs> Excellent. And also, even though I don't live anywhere near there, I, I am signed up for a newsletter because I'm nosy and I want to know what's going on with Glasgow Skeptics. And I receive a, a newsletter to say, you know, this is our future upcoming events and whatever. And so the next month, I believe, Madela Hunty will be... Uh, featuring yes yes it's happening I get I saw I tentatively oh, mentioned so it on on last week's yes. show and, and we were able to sort of officially announce it now so it's great so yeah super excited about that it means I get to kind of annoyingly fanboy around him for like a day and a half as well which was kind of the whole point of taking over Glasgow Skeptics was I get to fanboy with people that I yep. really admire so yeah you know I've already Why the t- hell not? ticked off like Aaron Rand people like that so you know Matt Dillahunt is next on my nerdy hit list so uh, watch out Matt excellent okay <laughs> <laughs> well so um, we'll just uh, without further ado move on and uh, the first segment is of course on these uh, weekend skepticism presented by me I want to talk about something that was exposed as a hoax in 1953 on November 21st back in London. And it was uh, the hoax of the Hilt Down Men. So w- what it was originally was uh, a skull presented by one of the scientists, Charles Dawson. And it was a, a skull that was allegedly the missing link, transitional f- form between the modern humans and our great ape ancestors. Of course, it was a big thing. Um, all the scientists were very excited during the meeting of London geologists, uh, 1912. So the skull was presented and uh, it was said that the skull was found in Sussex. And of course, um, it had a certain features that kind of made sense in that they, you know, they showed the, the traditional phase between the uh, the ape and the human. And, and everybody got really excited because, of course, the fact that it happened in England was so significant. And all these scientists were British and so they, they, they were super, super happy with that. But... As it turned out later, it was a hoax in that, that it was constructed from different bits of material using the teeth of orangutan, the skull of a... It was a skull of a man, but it wasn't um, as old as, as all that. It was just over 700 years old. And uh, the bones were stained to look older and the teeth were apparently filed to mimic sort of the, the apes-like sort of teeth. It, it was an interesting one because I think a lot of people wanted to believe that it was true. And I don't think they questioned or really indeed looked into the whole thing very closely. Because some of the things that, you know, it came out like staining and uh, apparently the fragments are from different species, it would become apparent if you look at it a little bit closer. So for 40 odd years, 
people believed that that was the case. And then the skull was kind of uh, examined in a, cl- a closer look and they discovered it was a hoax. The um, investigation ensued just to find out who was behind the hoax. And it was Charles Dawson who first uncovered, in inverted commas, the remains. And I think he kind of wanted to become known for that type of thing. He wasn't a scientist himself. Well, he was an amateur amateur archaeologist. He wanted to become known for discovering the missing link, of course, and and have that fame. There isn't a 100% certainty around all the facts. He must have engaged other people to help him to make this hoax a reality, because I don't think one person would have been able to, to kind of carry that kind of thing off. And so he did, in a way, got away with it for a long time. In the meantime, of course, this hoax damaged the scientific reliability and the reputation. And so, in fact, to this day, I think, the, the Christian... What are they called, the people who believe that the Earth is 6,000 years old? Creationists? Creationists. Uh, crackpots? I've got lots of names for them, but sure. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, the believers who don't think that we evolved from the apes, they use this as a... Um, as an example of, of saying, no, you know what, you say this, but look at this, and you, you're, you have lots of holes in your uh, sciences and scientific discoveries. Which we, of course, do, and these type of things don't help at all. But it still doesn't mean that God exists, sorry. So so let's get th- something clear. It was Charles Dawson that did this, not Charles, Charles Darwin, right? Dawson. No, no, Charles Dawson. <laughs> okay, it wasn't like <laughs> Charles, da- Charles Darwin in a sort of a disguise. He had like an extra no. beard and moustache on top of his beard and moustache, no? No, no. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I guess the whole thing is it definitely didn't do the scientific community any favours that the, the fake had managed to get passed through. But, you know, it was the scientific community that figured out it was a fake, right? Correct. Correct. That's a, that's a that's a good point, and that should be also pointed when people talk about stuff like that. Like we, this is why the science works. At some point, you test the theory, and people do the peer review and whatever else, and th- these type of things come to light. I mean, yes, it took quite a long time for the audience. Yeah, but- and and I think it didn't help. I've heard that he kept the the skull in a box under his bed and didn't want to show it to anybody. So it took a while for the <laughs> other scientists to be able to examine it and, and finally yeah. see that it was uh, a fake. So uh, Pontus isn't the only one with a skull down below his bed. Eh? <laughs> Don't we all have our skeletons yeah, in the yeah. closet? Yeah. But but actually, so so the other thing I wanted to just to mention about uh, Charles Dost quickly, uh, it wasn't his first attempt at faking th- those type of things. He he has been doing it for years, and that was like a culmination. He finally got it right. <laughs> oh really? Yeah. yeah. So, so w- yeah. where did he get his animal parts from? Was he just like sneaking into the zoo and doing dental work? So, on so the no, but but he I'm not sure where he got the monkey parts. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, excuse me. Was it, it wasn't a monkey? Actually, was it was a gorilla? They... Orangutan, I think. Yeah, I, I, I apologize. I'm, I'm reading here that uh, quote. It's likely that the skull was purchased at the curiosity shop. I should visit those more oh. often. That sounds more interesting than I thought. Yeah, there's some pretty dodgy second-hand places down towards the Barrowlands in Glasgow. I bet you could get some skull there. <laughs> Oh, yes. Sorry, he claimed he found it at a site, not actually found it at a site. I think the, the curiosity shop sounds more legit. Hmm. But he's, uh, yeah, he from the beginning he claimed he found it at, at a, a site in Essex. 
Was it Sussex or Essex? Sorry, so, sorry, near Sussex, 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 Sussex. I mean, Sussex. If, you know, if you go to Essex, you'll find plenty of um, primitive <laughs> life forms there. You know, you don't have to go digging them up, but I think Sussex, Sussex is slightly more here upmarket, goes our, right? Here goes our Essex side of big, listeners. Big hello to all the Essex listeners. Congratulations <laughs> on getting the internet at long last. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, oh, okay, anyways. So what did we learn here? That, that science is not infallible, but it's um, certainly the best way to know things. Still. No. I believe now it's time for Pontus to poke the Pope. Hey! Right. Because finally, Francis is speaking out about the importance of protecting children. Children should not be exposed to sex, he says. Which is why he, at the recent Vatican conference, made an urgent appeal to representatives for Facebook, Apple, Microsoft, Google and other tech companies to make porn unavailable for children on their respective platforms. Great. That's the the problem in the world. (laughs) Not that he has priests molesting children all over the place. It is because the children look at porn. Pro tip for anyone wow. looking for porn, Facebook.com is not the place to go for it, folks. Unless well, you're... would he know? Yeah. Would he know? No. Uh, so, yeah. So the supreme leader of what has been called the world's largest pedophile ring was concerned that the internet makes <laughs> porn available to children. And the, it sounds, I mean, we can laugh about this, but the worst part, I think, is the context that he puts it in. He went on to say that, quote, Painful and tragic experience of sexual abuse within the Catholic Church gave it a sense of duty to approach these issues with a long-term vision, end quote. So for me, that sounds that if he's saying that children watching porn is one of the reasons for the sex abuse scandals, and that means he's blaming the, the victims. I think he's implying that if, if children didn't look so much at porn, they wouldn't seduce his priests. So I think that's really despicable. Yeah, so, certainly seems to, to be, to to be pointing yeah. towards the sexualization or, or young people's experiences with sex online uh, having an influence on how attractive they look to priests. I don't know. It's kind of weird. I, I don't know either. I don't know either what he means. Well, in related news, the Italian investigative uh, TV program Le Iene on the 17th of November aired a broadcast containing new allegations regarding the Vatican's youth seminary. According to these allegations, in the 1990s, sexualized touching and groping of altar boys were normalized involving boys as young as 11 years old in the Vatican. So altar boys, I can assume that they are all the more easy to abuse since they're already on their knees, right? I mean, the, uh, the word seminary yeah. already sounds a bit dodgy, but then when you talk <laughs> it, it about does, youth it se- Can't be a seminary of the Catholic Church, it's... Uh, oh. hmm. <laughs> Choose your words more carefully, guys. Rename seminary to something sounding a little less sinister, please. Yeah, I think they should. Also, in this TV program... One of the victims, one former altar boy, expressed big surprise that the journalist had information about crimes against this particular altar boy that he had only told uh, anybody during confession. So, uh, so much for absolute confidentiality. The the priest who heard his confession must have leaked it somehow. Leaked is another loaded word here, I I understand. But yeah, a lot of shady business going on there. Um, 
In other news, George Bloody Pell may have one last chance to an appeal. If you're not aware, Cardinal George Pell used to be counted as the third most powerful person in the Catholic Church, second only to the Vatican Secretary of State, Pietro Parolin, and Francis himself. So earlier this year, as we know, Pell was convicted for abusing two boys in Australia in the 90s, and he has already lost one right to appeal. But now the Supreme Court in Australia has said that he'll be allowed one more hearing in front of the Supreme Court, and if that is successful, the Supreme Court may then give him one more chance to prove why the verdict should be overturned. Cardinal Pell, who is now 78, was sentenced in March this year and is currently serving a six-year sentence with a possible release after three years and eight months. The hearing in front of the Supreme Court will take place after the 4th of March, so we will have to wait and see how this ends. And in the meanwhile, Francis has now finally given up on him, it seems, because the day after this news, Francis finally appointed Pell's successor as head of the Vatican Secretariat for the Economy, which is the role that Pell had and has had all this time, even when he was in jail, and it's why he was regarded uh, as such a top man in the church. Because of the trial and the allegations, Pell hasn't been able to do his job for two years now, so it's reported that the secretariat is in a mess. And also the appointment of the new guy, a father Juan Antonio Guerrero, was described as a complete shock, since he is a newbie in the Vatican, and outsiders expected a layperson called Claudia Choca to get the job and she has a lot of experience and already has a high post within that same organization but no she was not appointed and uh, I don't know why of course but maybe Francis thinks that you can't have that job if you don't have a dick we know that Francis prefers dicks as I mean in, in people who has dicks <laughs> yeah <laughs> right so, okay so yeah, yeah. Uh, you need to a have a penis and B, not have put that penis anywhere are inappropriate. Those are the two yeah. top requirements for the job, right? Mm, well, the second thing is probably, if you can keep it quiet, that doesn't matter so much. Okay, quiet penises mm. only. <laughs> yeah. So we could have had almost a woman as a thir the third most powerful person in the Catholic Church, but no. Uh, thank you, Pontus, and uh, we're off to the next one. Let's talk about the news. All right, headline from the glamorous YorkPress.co.uk. John Lawler suffered broken neck during chiropractor treatment, inquest told. And before I go on, there's some kind of grisly content in here, folks. So if you're a little bit squeamish, then fast forward mm. a little bit. So a man suffered a broken neck while being treated by a York chiropractor for an aching leg, an inquest heard today. So there's point number one. If you ever go to a chiropractor, Pontus or Yelena, pick a part of the body that is not the back. Any part of the body. Well, like uh, arm. Arm. There arm, we yeah. go. Okay, so yeah. if you go into a chiropractor, folks, and say, hey, can you fix my arm? If uh -huh. the answer is yes, then that should be your uh, your cue to exit very, very quickly. 
In fact, generally speaking, we recommend <laughs> exiting the chiropractors nice and quickly anyway. But, you know, we, there is a small amount of evidence that chiropractors can help with lower back pain. So this is a guy with a bit of a bad leg, right? So the fa- the this couple, uh, or the father, the, the guy, had booked a couple of uh, chiropractic treatments after an initial assessment with Dr. Arlene Scholten. She said his, sh- his shoulders and back were out of line and by gentle manipulation, she could make his life much happier. She started on, his, on the shoulders, went round his body, and then apparently the table dropped and uh, he shouted, you're hurting me, you're hurting me, I can't feel my arms. So apparently, wow. apparently, yeah, apparently then at that point, Dr. Scholten tried to turn him over and manoeuvred him into a chair next to the treatment table, but he'd become unresponsive. Apparently at that point, his lips were turning blue. The gentleman's wife said, has he had a stroke? Uh, and the chiropractor put his head back and said, no, his features are symmetrical. So again, just a little bit of information. The correct answer, chiropractor, should have been, I don't know, I'm not a real doctor. <laughs> but at that point, they had to get the ambulance. And apparently when the paramedics arrived, Dr. Shulton did not inform them of the table dropping element during the treatment. She said she had only been applying, quote, gentle manipulation. When they got into hospital, his wife was told that uh, he'd suffered from a broken neck and then apparently rather bluntly informed that her husband was going to be paraplegic and he was going to undergo a 14-hour operation. But unfortunately, he passed away before the surgery even started. So the the inquest is ongoing at the moment. Mm. The inquest also heard that Mr. Lawler had a history of lumbar degenerative disease and had metal rods in his lower back. So again, another red flag there for a chiropractor attempting to manipulate the spine of somebody who already has some significant problems in that area. Well, because she probably didn't bother to ask. That's the thing. Well, exactly. And, and you know... Uh, if you've got a hammer, everything looks like a nail. If you're a chiropractor, you think you can <laughs> fix anybody with waggling their spine around. So, mm-hmm. you know, this is, you know, one in a long, long string of tragic stories that we've heard about things going wrong during chiropractic adjustments. We've heard of strokes. We've heard of deaths as well. We've heard of paralysis happening from time to time. But here's the interesting thing. So I spotted the same story on a different source. There was a BBC story about it. So I posted on my personal Facebook page about that, just with a little comment about chiropractors being, uh, you know, quacks and avoid them if you can. And I got some interesting responses from my Facebook friends, as you can probably imagine, folks. Mm. There was quite a few cases of, well, it worked for me or it works for me. And, you know, we as skeptics know that that's not particularly good evidence. But I did get some other interesting uh, responses. One guy in particular said, oh, but it feels so good getting your back cracked. Now, I couldn't think of anything worse to go for, but a lot of people think it's a nice thing to do. But he then went on to say, I'd never go to one for health reasons. I did for a whole year as a teen and then went to an osteopath who identified the real issue in one session. Somebody also pointed out the death of Playboy model Katie May um, a couple of years ago. Mm. There was also somebody who said, I visited once and stopped after the first session after I read up on it. The practitioner (laughs) called me to see why I wasn't returning and I flat out said, it's a pseudoscience. Um, (laughs) They also told me something about my spine that was later disproved by an NHS x-ray. 
the you know one friend in particular posted that he'd been to a, a chiropractor a number of times eight sessions recently for some back pain and he said the terrifying part was when they did my neck I guess our brains make us think if there's a loud crack, then it must have needed doing. Well, I thought my neck was going to be yanked and twisted right off. It made a huge crack both ways, and I said to myself, it must be freeing up something that needed adjusting. As the sessions went on, I got more and more scared about the impending neck crank and thoughts of James Bond and his one-move neck twist for killing the bad guy. So he went on to say that he'd actually been thinking of going back, but after seeing my post, it's made him think again, and he's not going to go back. Which is a result. Which is a result. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, amazing. I, I I had a few other friends who sort of said similar things, like, oh, you know, so there's there's people out there who. I, I know we don't get a lot of wins by, you know, arguing or posting on social media, but, you know, there's a lot of kind of rent people out there who maybe don't realise the dangers and stuff, you know. But, you know. Me personally, you know, if I wanted to get my back fixed up, and be, let's bear in mind, I'm a middle-aged man with a desk job. I've got, I've got a fair amount of back problems. And I had physio before. Nobody messing around with spinal manipulations. You know, pretty much zero chance of paralysis or death. So... What can I say, folks? You know, I I know it's uh, sometimes frowned upon to share skeptic-y stories on your personal social media, but maybe sometimes if you do it in the right way and provoke the right conversation, you might be able to change a few minds along the way or at least kind of let people know of the dangers and they've got a more informed uh, decision to make when they think about going to visit a chiropractor or some other form of quack. Yeah, and we should remember also that the whole theoretical background to chiropractic is pre-scientific, unscientific, and talks about things that we have never been able to verify scientifically. So it doesn't have a a basis to stand on. And then when it shows to be dangerous as well, then there's another reason not to to go there. Absolutely. Yeah. In fact, one of the sort of vague proponents of chiropractors on on my Facebook wall um, had sort of gone off and done a little bit of research and, and, and found that there are kind of two, I guess, two schools of chiropractor, those ones that believe in things like subluxations and, you know, mm. that they can cure anything, and the other type who really just look at lower back pain. And, you know, I think the one that he'd been seeing was reasonably decent at doing therapy for back problems, you know, so... I guess he got lucky in that respect. Yeah. But, you know, is certainly now well more aware of the potential pitfalls. Yeah. Wow. All right. So I've got some good news. Yay. We Yay. need that after this story. <laughs> On 10th of November of this year, the European Commission adopted the decision that granted marketing authorization to the company called Merck, Sharp and Dom for a vaccine against Ebola. They've been working on the vaccine since 2014 outbreak, uh, and now finally five years later, it's been developed, tested, and it is now going to be in uh, public use. In fact, the vaccine called Airwebo already has been used as part of the specific protocol for people who were exposed to the disease, like um, the uh, medical personnel or people who were in contact with uh, Ebola-infected population. The benefits of the vaccine were assessed by European Medicine Agency, EMA, who weighted the uh, benefits and the risks of the vaccine and now given the green light. 
There was also a, a recent announcement for a clinical trial for another Ebola vaccine regimen, and it's now underway in Democratic Republic of Congo, with the support of EU's research and innovation program Horizon 2020. Vitanis Andriukaitis, who is the commissioner in charge of health and food safety. <laughs> Good name, I like it. I know, I love it. I, I wanted to use this name. <laughs> and he said, uh, quote, finding a vaccine as soon as possible against this terrible virus has been priority for the international community ever since Ebola hit West Africa five years ago. Today's decision is therefore a major step forward uh, in saving lives in Africa and beyond, end quote. Yeah, so the Ebola outbreak happened between 2014 until 2016 in, in Africa. And the survival rates uh, for Ebola were pretty poor. I know they quote a very wide range between 25 to 90% of people would die. That's a pretty terrifying number. Yeah. But so what was so bad about this outbreak in 2014 is that uh, more than 11,000 people died from it in West Africa. There is a current outbreak in Democratic Republic of Congo that's caused by Ebola Zaire, and the, the uh, fatality rates are approximately 67%. So it's, it's pretty bad. It's very bad, yeah. So sooner they start using the vaccine, better. Yeah. Great news for yeah, that must have been scientific, like the, the scientific community. The shortest ever benefits analysis, I would imagine. What are the benefits of this vaccine? Mm, not dying <laughs> horribly of Ebola. All right, okay, tick. Uh, yeah. Let's move along. Yeah. We can deal with any side effects that coming. Just you know, yeah, <laughs> get we'll it out. There. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's. It, do you know what? It's, it's interesting. I would imagine the people out there would be lining up for the vaccine. You know, uh, in the same way that back in. Uh, you know, the UK or the Europe and US that we lined up for polio vaccines when, when polio was such a blight. Yeah. Yeah. We actually had, like a couple of years ago at Glasgow Skeptics, we had somebody come to speak for us, yeah. uh, a local microbiologist who had volunteered out in uh, in Sierra Leone during the, uh, the Ebola outbreak. And, uh, you know, her stories were pretty terrifying. Mm. It took a lot of guts just to go out there and, you know, suit up and, and try and help people uh, go through this, this terrible disease. So, you know, anything we can do to prevent it, the better. Go science. Well, so what you mentioned earlier, Brian, the, uh, the decision, the approval of this uh, EMA was made very quickly. They, they normally would issue their ruling in within 67 days, but they actually uh, have done it within a month. So... The need was so urgent that they were like, let's, you know, let's just get it out there. Great. Yeah. So for, for any anti-vaxxers listening, just um, you, you can keep an eye on the metrics for autism rates in, uh, in Africa now, you know, see if there's a spike. I'm going to guess no. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we haven't done our measles update for a while. So I have. No, please had... tell us the good news, Pontus. <laughs> there is good news. I can tell you there is good news. For the first time since we started this topic, the trend seems to be a good one. And that is that the number of measles cases per month has gone down a lot. If you compare to the first six months of the... If you, you compare the first six months of this year with the period July till October inclusive. So the data I'm looking at is from the WHO. And it covers not just uh, the EU, but the area that they refer to as the 
European region, which also includes countries like uh, Turkey, Az- Azerbaijan, Kazakhstan, all the other stans, and uh, Turkmenistan. <laughs> I'm very sorry that I insult people by not knowing all those names, all, all those, those countries. There's too many stans, yeah. <laughs> a lot of lot of stans. Uh-huh. Looking at the whole region, that big region, the ab- absolute worst period was the first half of this year, with close to 15,800 cases per month in average, which was to double the average for 2018, which was 7,400. But for July to October, the next four months, the same number was down to 4,300. So from 7,400 last year to 15,800 for the first half of this year and down to 4,300 now. So that's rather encouraging. Even the worst country, Ukraine, has gone down from an average of 9,000 per month to just 288 per month, which is a fantastic improvement. Yeah. In fact, there's only three countries that seems to be going the wrong way. Turkey, Uzbekistan and Russia. All others are improving significantly or were already so low that they didn't really have a problem. So all countries except San Marino, Andorra and Monaco did report measles cases, at least one, during the last four months. So measles are still a thing in the region everywhere, but it's pointing in the right direction. If we limit it to just the EU countries, the best news there is that even Romania has dropped from an average of 560 cases per month to just 96 cases per month now. Still, the total for all of uh, 2019 seems to be close to the total for last year in the EU, which is about 18,000 cases. Looking at the bigger region, 2019 will be worse than 2018, but only for the big peak that we saw in the first half of the year. The trend is now very good. So I I wish I could say that this is because of uh, vaccination efforts. Well, I was going to say, why why do you think that is? (laughs) I was going to attribute it to all of your excellent updates, uh, Pontus, you know. I I wish I could take credit for this. But the fact is that uh, I don't have information and I don't even know if if anybody knows exactly how this works or how much is due to vaccination initiatives or how much is just uh, the natural ebb and flow of how epidemics work. It could also be that... If you have a number of cases, a big number of cases, people see friends and neighbors being hit by the disease and then they are more inclined to vaccinate. All of that could factor in. The only thing we know now that is that it's looking better and that's significantly better. So it's good news. All right. Very good. Well, mm-hmm. I hope somebody will do a study why it got better. Mm-hmm. Okay, so on the subject of measles, uh, let's go to a story that was brought to us by ESP's very own uh, roving reporter, uh, Annika Harrison. Um, Annika! Yeah, hey, Annika! Um, So this one comes from The Guardian, and it is the Germans playing hardball, as they like to do. German Parliament (laughs) approves compulsory measles vaccinations. So, the German Parliament has voted to make measles vaccinations compulsory for children in a response to a global rise in cases of the disease, despite Pontus' best efforts. Aww. (laughs) <laughs> Parents who refuse to get their children inoculated face fines of up to €2,500 Euros 
and even more importantly, a likely ban from nursery or school. So that protection act is going to come into force next March. Now, this is clearly making waves. Uh, the UK Health Secretary, Matt Hancock, said in September the government was, quote, looking very seriously at making vaccinations compulsory for state school pupils. So, uh, you know, we've already just heard some exciting news about the rates of measles in Europe. And despite the fact that, you know, maybe we've reached the peak and it's starting to decrease, there's clearly still a lot of work to be done there. So before widespread measles vaccination began in the early 1960s, how many deaths a year do you think we had, folks? Take a guess. In, in the 10, world? 10,000. Oh. In the world. I, I was I, gonna, several, I was... several hundred thousands, I would say. Oh, I said 10,000. Okay. Uh, you can revise your answer if you want, Yelena. No, no, I'm sticking with 10,000. Okay. So before the vaccination program began in the early 60s, the disease killed an estimated 2.6 million people every year. Oh, jeez, According to the World Health Organization. That declined to 110,000 deaths in 2017. So, you know, your your guesses were, were low-balling even the current figures. Um, wow. So, <laughs> Let's remember, like the, the death toll is still huge, even though we have vaccination available. It's interesting, you know, we were criticised in the Glasgow Skeptics uh, official Facebook page for st sharing stories about measles deaths. Now, the, the criticism came from anti-vaxxers who said that we were capitalising on reporting people's deaths uh, in order to quote-unquote further our agenda. Our response to that was, our agenda is less dead people, so we're quite happy to do so, you know? Um, <laughs> yeah. Now, yeah. the fact that the, the Germans are going to make it mandatory does actually prompt a lot of interesting ethical questions. You know, there are certain people or certain factors who think it could actually be counterproductive and that maybe education programmes would be better served. I guess, however, we're going to have to sit and wait and see how this one plays out. You know, I think the best precedent we've got is the, the no jab, no pay laws that you saw in Australia coming into force. When was that? Like a year ago, maybe a bit longer. Mm. And that really sort of tested the resolve of some of the anti-vaxxers. And I think it separated out the the hardcore anti-vaxxers from the anti-vaxxers who will suddenly lose their principles if it meant they would lose out on some money. You know, you know, as the mm. parent of a young child, if I genuinely thought that vaccines were super dangerous, no amount of financial penalty would prompt me to go ahead and do it. So you have to ask, you know, those Australian parents who um, bowed down and got their kids vaccinated, how strong were their beliefs in the first place? Clearly not very strong. Now, mm. as with everything, though, folks, if you want to know what the put your finger on the pulse of intelligent discourse on any news story, you should go to the Daily Mail. So there was an equivalent <laughs> story about this in, in the Daily Mail. And I went down to the comments area and copied and pasted it uh, uh, into a Word document. And I I plucked out the best ones, right? Now, there's there's you know plenty of pro-vax and anti-vax statements going on there, but the most entertaining ones I put into two categories. Number one is Brexit, and uh, number two is failing to do a Basil Fawlty and mentioning the war. So what do you guys want first? Do you want Brexit or the war? I'm very curious how you get Brexit into this. All right, okay, here we go. I'll give you some Brexit comments. So, comment. 
it should be more. Start injecting illegal immigrants too. They carry in so many bacteria, viruses. <sighs> yeah, I know. Wow. Sounds good, except it will be the German taxpayer who pays for the millions of immigrant kids who live off the state. And also, uh, another comment, revenue generating being ramped up because we're leaving, we being Britain. And regardless of how you feel on this specific subject, it's undoubtedly that freedom within the Euro state is on the decline. So those were the sort of anti-immigrant wow. Brexity type comments. Let's move on to, you know, you can't have any story appearing in a British tabloid about Germany without people making cheeky comments about the Germans. So we had Germans say no more. We all know what they're capable of. <laughs> Yep. And the next one was, we have ways of making them vaccinate. You had to do that one oh in a sort God. of a multi German accent. Yep. Uh, okay. Um, only a few years ago, the Germans loved imposing medical treatments and medication on children against their parents' wishes. I think that would be a step too far in Britain. Right. Good. Thank you. Forced medication now. And what will be next on the agenda? Forced euthanasia. Now, where have we seen this before? Scary. And finally, wow. yep, Germany have a proven track record of forcing medical procedures on people. I guess a tiger really can never change its stripes. So well done to the readers of the Daily Mail. And do you know what, though? Like, kudos to the Daily Mail. They're, they're coming out strong against anti-vaxxers now. A little bit late, but I'm glad they got to the game eventually. But the comments area of the Daily Mail still appears to be a complete dumpster fire of ignorance. So well done, folks. It, it, I'm, I'm, I don't know what to say. The, some <laughs> of these commenters, I, I don't know how they think or if they think. It's, it's incredible. Probably, yeah, probably they are the latter. Prob probably <laughs> Neanderthals from Essex, I would imagine, lots of them. <laughs> it must be. There's a, a lot of piltdown men in that vicinity, I think. <laughs> we were just starting to believe that the Daily Mail is changing, but it's not. Because we reported a couple of uh, things from their website that was actually good news, but maybe it was just a fluke. <laughs> <laughs> the broken clock of newspapers is the Daily Mail for sure. Hmm. Oh, that's so true. Yeah, and, and even if the Daily Mail is now promoting vaccinations, the, the readers may not have had time to adjust. For sure. Okay, moving on. I think nobody has missed the fact that Venice suffered the worst flooding for over 50 years last week. Last Tuesday, the water level was 187 centimeters above average, which is huge. That's taller than I am. I, you know, I'm a little bit of above average. So at 187 centimeters, 94% of Venice is flooded. So it hit basically everybody. This was huge. And of course, it has caused extreme damage to the city and to cultural objects and also caused two deaths. After Tuesday, the water receded a bit, but then on Friday, it came back to 154 centimeters. The mayor already on Tuesday told newspapers, quote, these are the effects of climate change, end quote. And that triggered some people who go bananas every time climate change is mentioned to go wild on the internet. These people uh, argue that it's not climate change, it is instead Venice that is sinking, and that has been known for years. So I wanted to know who is right here, and I'm afraid I went down a real rabbit hole. 
and I had to look into quite a lot of... I've tried to summarize what I found out as quickly as I can. Yeah. So water in the lagoon of Venice rises, of course, when there's rain, but also when tides and the Sirocco winds from Africa come together and push up the water levels. That is not a new phenomenon as such, but it doesn't help that the water levels across the globe are rising and there are reasons to expect that the Sirocco winds may also be stronger when it's warmer in, in the climate. However, you can't blame individual events on climate change. So we, don't, we can't say that this particular event was triggered by, by climate change alone. You have to look at statistical data. And that's where I went down the, the rabbit hole. So since 1936, there's been 21 occasions of floods above 140 centimeters. So that's over the last 80 years or so. 12 of these 21 events happened in the last 20 years. So from happening about once per decade, the floods now occur every second year or even a little bit more. So that's an indication that it's getting worse. But then, is it only due to climate change? In the last 80 years, global sea levels has risen almost 2 centimeters, and this is certainly due to, to climate change. Uh, but to make things complicated, the part of the Mediterranean where Venice is seems to have seen a, a sea level rise which is much higher than that. One source I found indicates around 10 centimeters, and that's just between 1999 and 2006, just a 7 year period. So you can't just go on global averages. And then to make things even more complicated at the same time, Venice is actually sinking. And that effect is a huge factor too. During the last century, Venice has subsided about 12 centimeters. And this is due to natural plate tectonic movements, but also have been made worse by human activities such as pumping fresh water from below the seabed under the city, which was a practice for, for a long time. But that has now been banned because it hurts the city. And then, in addition, the sinking isn't entirely uniform in the area. So Venice is slowly tilting as well, sinking more to the east than to the west. So is that down to soil types or um, concentrations of overweight tourists? Uh, very good point. Cause for further study, I think. <laughs> I don't know. So... What can we learn from all of this, uh, all of these informations? Well, first of all, don't build your city out in the water. That seems like a bad idea to me. But the general conclusion, I think, uh, or more serious conclusion, is that as usual, things are never as simple as you think. Venice has problems from natural causes and would be sinking a little bit anyway. But climate change certainly won't help. Uh, and it contributes to the problem as well, both with more wind from Africa and with higher sea levels in, in general. So it's not either climate change or is Venice sinking. It is both. And uh, that's good to keep in mind. Mm -hmm. The singer Shakira recently yes. lost her, her voice. Shakira, Shakira. No, not like that. Uh, I didn't lose my voice. This is my voice. Apparently, but anyway, she she yeah. lost her voice. And oh, she was probably very upset because that's kind of what she's known for. Anyways, so she lost her voice and doctors told her that to restore the voice, she, she needs to have an operation. But she said no. She would like not to have an operation, but to go down the alternative route 
of treatment, which was meditation, and going to to Lourdes. Lourdes? Lourdes. 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 Going Lourdes. to Lourdes in France. <laughs> and what was in Lourdes? It's a small market town lying in the foothills of the Pyrenees, very pretty, in the south of France. It rose to prominence when Marianne, who, who is a saint, claimed to have been seen by a peasant girl there in one of the caves. And this cave also has like a, a stream of water. And so this water became holy. And there was a, a sanctuary created for Our Lady of Lourdes. I don't know how to pronounce that. <laughs> You're doing a good job. Uh, it's, a, it's a pilgrimage place and a big uh, thing in religious tourism. Since mid-1800s, over 200 million people visited this wow. place. And they all pray for ailments to go away, the illnesses and things, and then they drink the water, and then they wait for a miracle to happen. And I tell you what... The church admitted that 69 miracles has happened since then, which is not 0.03%. Oh, of the total 200 million, you mean? Not 0.03%, which I'm not a mathematician, but I reckon it's, it's just chance, you know, some things go away on, on, on their own. But anyway, so she went there, she had some water, and um, her vocal cords got better in a while. Not at the same time as drinking the water. But like, you know, a few weeks, so a few, whatever, a while later. She didn't say that explicitly, but I reckon she thinks that that was a miracle performed during her visit. Mm. And uh, I also think as a side effect of this, <laughs> she made Lourdes even more popular than it was already was. She's got a big presence uh, in pop culture and she's really famous. And because she went there now, she kind of also kind of promoted inadvertently the place. I mean, look, I'm not an advocate for, like, let's operate on everyone left, right and center, whether they need it or not. Mm. But uh, but also, like I said, some things go in their own or if you drink a little bit of saint water. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> our hips don't lie, but our mouth talks a whole load of bollocks. <laughs> <sighs> okay. All right. So one last news, a bit short, I think, uh, GMO news. So genetically modified organisms. The so-called golden rice is rumored now to be approved for farming and consumption in Bangladesh. Golden rice has been uh, genetically modified to contain beta carotene, which helps fight the vitamin A deficiency, which would be extremely helpful really in certain regions of the world. Of course, many people have been fighting this potential lifesaver for the fear of GMO. But there's no scientific reason to believe that golden rice would be dangerous to humans. The announcement that Bangladesh would approve golden rice came from the molecular biologist and Nobel laureate Sir Richard John Roberts, who said the approval would come on 15th of November. However, as we record this, that date has come and gone, and we haven't seen that announcement yet. So I think we'll save this... Uh, news item a little bit until it actually happened we'll keep our eyes on it from now but i think it would be great to finally see golden rice come to use it's been around for a long time for and sure. a lot of people could benefit from it but this fear-mongering has kept it back yeah maybe maybe greenpeace ran a ship into the press conference or something and that's why it wasn't announced i don't know wouldn't be the first time they've done things like that no all right. Well, great stuff. Let's move on. And this is it for the news. Um, but Pontus has got something else for us in his really wrong segment of the week. 
As we all know, there is a real problem with antibiotics, which is that bacteria quite quickly can evolve resistance to them, and then they don't work any longer. The problem comes bigger the more we use antibiotics, so we should definitely be conservative when prescribing them. Unfortunately, lots of patients do not always sympathize with that. They're not very well informed about the problem, and especially... There is a misconception that antibiotics also works against viruses, which they don't. So therefore, some patients insist that their doctor prescribes antibiotics even when it serves no purpose whatsoever. Overprescription is a big issue in the world and it should be limited or should be stopped as much as possible. Now, to the rescue. The state government of Bavaria in Germany has understood this and they want to join the fight. Unfortunately, their proposed solution is ridiculous and stupid. Oh no. They have proposed <laughs> a study costing hundreds of thousands of euro to investigate how this overprescription can be replaced by prescribing homeopathy instead. Are you fucking kidding me? No, I am not. They are also looking at, into other non-functioning alternative modalities to be used. So instead of educating the public and perhaps even some of the medical doctors, because there are medical doctors that are misinformed as well, they suggest that the state spends money on fake medicine to trick people into eating sugar pills instead. So they want to fight stupid with more stupid. Are you saying that too stupid don't make it smart? <laughs> uh, I'm saying that in this case it doesn't, no. Oh. Jesus. Yeah. I was I was laughing out loud when I oh, I saw this. This was I couldn't believe my eyes. But apparently it's a thing. I don't know if the proposal have been approved yet, and I don't know if they're going to go through with it. But uh, apparently it's a serious proposition. That's I mean you know we're talking earlier on about the German government you know taking bold <laughs> steps to you know mandate vaccines, and now they're you know there or there's a part of the country that's considering magic beans. I mean, that's ridiculous. Yeah, maybe they'll make that mandatory too. Mandatory homeopathy. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah. I guess if somebody turns up in a doctor's surgery with a virus, okay, I'm going to give you nothing to deal with this. If that nothing is a sugar pill, that's a waste of a sugar pill. <laughs> yeah, but the problem is, of course, that it also lends legitimacy to this. If they, if they get that sugar pill, well, they must work because my doctor gave it to me. Yeah, and not only that as well, those people who have the cold or the flu and they get their homeopathy, they're going to get better afterwards. And what do you think cured them? Mm. Mm. Homeopathy. Yeah. yeah. Magic sugar pills, yes. Nothing to do with, you know, your body's immune system. Oh, what a nightmare. Yeah, so to close this off, for suggesting that you can solve a real medical concern by obfuscating the facts and give fake medicine undeserved credibility, the Bavarian state government gets today's prize for being really wrong. Sort it out, Bavaria. <sighs> sort it out. That's great. It's not great, but thank you, Pontus. Okay, um, that's, that's the end. That's the end of this. And to finish off, I've got the quote. Okay, so I've got a quote from René Descartes. To be possessed of a vigorous mind is not enough. The prime requisite is the rightly to apply it. The greatest minds, as they are capable of the highest excellence, are open likewise to the greatest aberrations. 
and those who travel very slowly may yet make far greater progress, provided they keep always to the straight road, than those who, while they run, forsake it. Poetic stuff, I like it. Yeah, yeah. He said some good stuff, like I've, yeah, I I wanted to quote a lot of his stuff. Yeah, Got so quite a few things in there. You have to not just have a vigorous mind, as he puts it. You also have to put it into good use. And sometimes it takes a long time. And uh, that can take you further than hasting towards conclusions too quickly. It does. It talks a lot, of, you know, to sort of scientific progress. It does tend to be small steps, slow steps. Very, very rarely do you see big, massive breakthroughs. And a lot of times, if you do see news of that, that's kind of a red flag. Hmm. Yeah. Well, sometimes it's an accumulation of knowledge that came before that breakthrough, right? It's um, it's like a last drop, or uh, you know, the last... sure, standing on the shoulders of giants and all that. Yeah, definitely. that's it. But but the progress beforehand is is a slow, slow road. All right, I think this is it for sure. The end. Thank you so much, guys. It's been uh, a lot of fun, and we'll do it again very soon. All right. But for now, paka paka. Later. Bye. This has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. Join us again next time, but until then, please send your feedback, comments, or death threats to info at the ESP.eu. We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes, as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know, as we are more than happy to help. All music in the program was written and performed by Keisha J. Gray and George Schraub and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at www.theesp.eu, follow us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu, and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can believe. I probably could dig up like <laughs> 30 hours of purring cats from Jelena's recordings, but for the 200th episode, like- we will release those as Patreon bonus. <laughs> Patreon bonus. <laughs> Only the purring. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we should have our... I think I have mine. Hey, hang on, hang on. We have this... You weren't there, uh, Jelena, but we had those at the... Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Make, remember those? Yeah. Make sure I've that goes in the, in the recording. Yeah. Pontus Andrus will be devastated <laughs> to have that in the, in the... Well, I mean, if he was still alive, he would have been devastated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.